Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Eating Crow with Pete Durand. Hey everyone, welcome to another thrilling episode of the Eating Crow podcast. This is an unusual one for me. I have two guests, which I'm not qualified as a podcast host to handle more than one guest, but we're going to try this. Uh, and they're also... Well, we're professionals, podcasters, so we'll help each true. other. I, these are professional podcasters on the call with us. Ladies and gentlemen, John Lane and Will Barfield, welcome. Oh, thank yeah. you. Hello. Thrilled to be we'll, here. We'll dub some applause in because the studio audience... Just didn't, just didn't step up for us right now. <laughs> cold, cold. So uh, this is this podcast has been at least for Will and I a long time coming. We wanted to do this almost three years ago, and we just never could get it done. And uh, John and I connected and realized you guys are working together. So here we are. And this this podcast will register for the older set of my audience because um, there's a lot of gray hair on this podcast. A lot of experience we're going to part with today. Yeah, I like it. Experience, better, yeah. <laughs> experience, wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. So let's let's start with this. Can one of you share why you guys are working together? Let's start there, and then we'll work our way back. John likes to go first, so I'll let him go first. Uh, I was going to say John likes to go first, so he should probably let Will go first because since uh, he can be a little domineering, we're like a married couple. Why don't you go first, honey, and you give your reason, and then I'll disagree with. Perfect. It. Let's go back to the summer of nineteen ninety five. Wow. We moved to Raleigh in the uh, late fall of 19. We got settled, bought a condo, humble brag, and uh, got settled, and the pandemic hit. And things got a little bit wild. And right about that time, our mutual friend, uh, Lee Folger, connected Will and I. And uh, all of a sudden, Will had time on his hand, and he can explain that. And we started chatting and we just decided to meet and chat every week or so. And one day he said to me, Hey, John, do you know anything about assessments? And I was like, by golly, I do not a lot, but I know something. And we started talking about assessments and how they're used. And he was thinking about how he could use them in his recruiting practice. I was thinking about how to use them in my consulting practice. And we just, it was just super organic. We just kept going uh, on that, on that trail. Will, is that how you remember it? Pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Pretty close. Pretty close. I just, I'm going to add some color if I can. Are you done? Sure. Okay. You don't have to be. To add some color to that, you know, and bring it up to present, that Lee uh, Folger, who was a, a mutual friend, I've known him for several years. He introduced John and I uh, fortuitously in the spring of 20. Um, Pete, you know, you and I have talked before. I've been in sales and business development work for 25 years. I've been in the recruiting industry focusing on revenue-related positions for almost 20 years. I've been a small business owner with my wife, Amy, our woman-owned small business for the last seven. John comes from a background in, uh, you know, advertising and media and marketing and business development. He, when I met him, he was consulting and still is with a lot of early stage startups and companies that were kind of at that moment of product market fit, right. you know, going, trying to get out there and generate revenue. And because a lot of my customers were startup and early stage companies at the, you know, with the time that we met, 
we thought initially it'd be a, just a great referral relationship. Like, Hey, you know, like maybe some of the clients that John's working with when they grow, they might need recruiting. You can refer me in. And we set up a, a program where I would pay him a referral fee for that connection. And then maybe if I had a company come to me, that was too early to, for recruiting and, and not quite ready to add people, but really needed a consultant like John that I could refer him in. The problem was, and why John made you know a joke about the fact that I had time on my hands is if you remember when COVID hit, uh, the world shut down. Yeah. And everybody went home and hid in their basement under piles of toilet paper waiting for the world to end. Yeah. And when that happened, human resources, Pete, said, yeah, we're freezing hiring because we don't know what's going to happen. Well, I'm in the recruiting business. What do I do? Right. I help companies hire people. And I don't do it on a contract basis. I'm a direct hire recruiter. I fill full-time positions. I'm a bounty hunter. So when every single full-time position I'm working on is frozen at the same time, I got time on my hands. So while did you exercise? The exercise no, negative. There'll be none of that. Um, and we'll we'll Sorry, get back to that later. You dropping the funnies. No. Down, but. this is what he does to me on our podcast okay. all the time, uh, and it's for its own amusement and mine, but mostly his. So I'm looking at our business, my wife and I, and trying to figure out. Okay, well, when is this going to end? What's next? And one of the thoughts we had was. Is there some kind of recurring revenue that can be, you know, dovetailed in, bolted on to help with the company? And we were investigating assessments because my clients often ask me, Pete, do you use a tool to like help with recruiting or to evaluate fit to role for retention for people? And it always deferred. Right. But I brought that point up to John in one of our strategic conversations. And then he brought up the idea of organization analysis and design, OAD, said he had a connection to them. And I'm going to punt it back to John here because he's the one that brought OAD and Philip into the relationship. And really what ended up being about a two to two and a half year vetting process where he and I kind of evaluated whether or not my network and my connections and his consulting uh, background and and his implementation and delivery skills were going to be a good fit for us becoming a distribution partner. I would just add at this point, well, two things. One is um, this is the moment when the gardener outside decided to use the leaf blower. So if that, I mean, literally is outside my window. I can see a storm of, of leaves. So if that's messing up. We're okay. Uh, We're good. Yeah, good. The second was that I don't remember. So, OED and Philip, and why you introduced yeah. them into this situation. Yeah. So it was a, it was like a two and a half year trial period that ended last August when we became distributors. Oh, I know what I was going to say. Through all of that, we didn't meet in person, Will, until like... Last May. May of yeah. 22. Wow. Yeah. So we were building this, This uh, I think it's fair to call it an entrepreneurial juggernaut. Uh, and we hadn't met in person for, for two years. So um, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. And it, it folds into the business nicely, Pete, because naturally when someone reaches out to me for recruiting, uh-huh depending on what I perceive in that exchange and what their pain is, it can be very easy to just say, Hey, well, you know, what are you using to assess fit? Or, you know, you said you're having a lot of turnover. What are you, what are you doing to try and solve for that? And it can be very easy to introduce OAD into the conversation. Now that I've lived in the tool for a couple of years, have been trained on it and have watched it work for some other clients. So, um, the podcast that we that we came up with and, and all those things around work in progress that we've been doing, that's 100% John and his brainchild. So how does the, how does the podcast and work in progress, is it, a, is it a, just a podcast and a brand? How does it tie together with, with the business you guys have put together? That's an awesome question. So 
the podcast began like I think some of the best things do organically. So when we started, so we signed our, our OAD distributors contract last August, Labor Day comes, hit the busy season. Everyone is just, it's just too busy for us to start doing anything with that. And I just had this thought bubble that said, we should figure out a way to use it. And so uh, I do some work with uh, a couple of local foundations, nonprofits and such. Uh, and Will does some work with, uh, with some as well. And a couple were having some summits. And so we were trying to figure out a way to bring the power of the OAD assessment into uh, these summits as part of the agenda to help people be a little introspective, et cetera, et cetera. And I was just beginning to think, well, how are we going to do this? And I better practice, right? And so I recorded myself putting a, um, a few slides together around what we ended up calling leadership traits under stress, which is the system will, will take, like we did with yeah. you, Pete, the system will produce your profile, but it'll also give you a fairly generic but accurate strengths and weaknesses. So we cleverly turned that into superpowers and kryptonite. The DC, <laughs> the DC universe has yet to come after us, but but one day they right. may. And I said, I better like practice doing this pitch because oh my god, I'm got I've got live fire in a few right. weeks. So I recorded myself uh, just so I could get some feedback on it, and I showed it to Will, and he said, Hey, that's not bad. Do me. So we recorded him, and that was kind of fun. And we said, Well, who else can we get? And my twin brother is sort of in the same sort of leadership consulting space. So we had him on. I'm like, by gum, we've got a podcast. Sure. So that was kind of fun. And then just organically, I was talking with my wife about, I said, what's that phrase work in? She goes, progress. I'm like, yeah, we're a work in progress, right? Our whole, I mean, kind of similar to your vibe. It's like, we don't have all the answers. We kind of don't know what we're doing. We get up every day and try and do our best and learn. But that's our vibe, sure. right? And so we created that. We got some art made by a very talented um, uh, designer named Marley Baker. Hi, Marley. And it just sort of grew from that. And then we have been uh, working on how we're going to bring this stuff to market. And what Will and I realized was that not everybody wakes up in the morning and says, you know, can I buy some psychometric assessments for my team today? Pretty small group. So we flipped the telescope around and said, let's bring common business challenges to the audience, things like distributed and hybrid teams or sales team alignment or critical new starts or post layoff alignment. Those are the things that business leaders think about. And we developed a series of workshops on them. And then once again, we had to record something and we're trying to figure out, well, how are we going to bring this to market? So we just said, let's call them work in progress, leadership workshop series. And then that was born. And I'd like to say we had the brainchild and we wrote a brief and we did all this stuff structurally, but no, it happened. Sure. It happened really organically, which is kind of fun. I want to double click on that nonprofit piece too there, John. Uh, you know, the, when you think about volunteers, Pete, whatever it is that you volunteer for, sure. you're on a board, you're doing fundraising, you're, you're choosing to give your time, maybe to your kid's athletic team, right. to what have you. That is not your primary job. Mm -hmm. So these people who are on these boards at these nonprofits that John and I, you know, kind of piloted this idea with, they're in stressful situations because they're working full time. 
and they have family, and then they probably got this nonprofit commitment board, certain number of hours a week. Sure. Maybe they're on a fiduciary board where they vote, they meet frequently, and then they probably have a membership or an association that is tied to that they have people that they're obligated to support. Sure. So when they had their annual meetings, what we talked to them about was, hey, you know, why don't we use OAD and this power of this assessment tool to look at the profiles of everyone who's on the board? And then look at how they feel like they fit to the role that they have on the board. Because volunteer boards constantly have issues with burnout and turnover, retention, and leadership development and succession planning. So this is a way to make sure, hey, and we did it for complimentary because we were trying to you know, do give back, but also do some value add development for us. Let's see if the right people are in the right seats. And the rooms loved it because everyone's like, that makes sense. That's how, you know, you communicate with me, Billy, right? And it's, they're seeing one another through that lens and understanding why they react certain ways in the board interaction. And it helped them with shifting people into other roles. And it helped them with succession planning on, you know, maybe this person isn't the right person to be in line for the presidency based on what we learned today. So we we did that live and it was fun. And now we're doing it really as a podcast 101 with leaders in all different kinds of roles, you know, talking about vulnerability, what are your strengths, what are your weaknesses when, you know, stress hits, right, superpowers and kryptonite. And, yeah, how can we utilize that knowledge of self to help make us better leaders, be better stewards of all of our, um, you know, outputs, whether it's personal or professional. And I would imagine uh, if you do this correctly, you, you have a, a nonprofit board, 10, 12 people. They're all leaders at other companies. They have to go back to their companies and go, hey, this works pretty well. There's your conduit, right? You've built a bit of a pipeline. So brilliant. Well done. Yeah, that was also one of the goals was, like you said, Johnny Appleseed, long-term seed planting, scatter a bunch of them out there, impress some people. And then when that thing hits at work and they're like, oh, yeah, that, you know, hopefully they reach out. And then that complimentary piece opens the door to build business. So I'm going to lean in on the work in progress brand for a minute and and then tie it into the the assessment, this OAD assessment, because I just took it and John walked me through it a while back. And I've done dozens of these over the years. And, you know, like I told John, usually what, what comes out of my assessments is very different than people expect, which is helpful, right? They expect me to be upper right quadrant sales, marketing, all, and I'm quite the opposite, actually. So those behaviors are things I actually have to force and are draining in some situations for me. So uh, John and I have had some good back and, back and forth on LinkedIn as we've engaged each other's comments about this very thing. But one of the things that I really was drawn to about the OAD assessment was this uh, these three additional filters. And maybe you can remind me what they are. Adaptability, or what are, you, what are the other two? Yeah. So there's three. We call them trait modifiers. One is EL for versatility level, and that is a measure of how well a person can act outside of their behavioral traits and for how long. So you scored high, and we don't like to say like high is good, low is bad. It's just it is what it is. But you scored high, which means you're able to act outside or adapt your behavioral patterns for more easily and longer than the average person. Yep. The second one is uh, EC, emotional control. Emotional control, we think of it as a measure of heart versus head. 
how much empathy and feeling does a person put into their decision-making process? Somebody with a low score uses a lot of empathy and feeling to make decisions. Somebody with a higher score treats decisions in how they see it as more logic-minded. And the last was CR creativity. Creativity is a measure of how much conventional thinking a person puts into finding a solution. Somebody with a low score is the type of person who's going to go back and read the manual. Somebody with a high score is going to say, what manual? Let's make it up. And all of them combine to uh, affect or modify the overall behavioral choice. What I thought was great about those three additional modifiers was you look at the rest of the profile and there's some typically traditional things in there about how I think, what I do, and how I interact with others. But those modifiers, to me, I hadn't seen before. Mm-hmm. And those are powerful, particularly the farther you get up the food chain and you're interviewing into the C-suite and trying to find, and you understand there are six other people on this leadership team we're about to drop somebody else in. And boy, those people really have to click because if it doesn't work, it affects the whole organization. So the magnitude of the higher impact is greater. So understanding these things and looking for all three of those, and you're right, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer on those three scales, but you're now more informed. More informed. That's why we consider OAD to be a business decision tool rather than sort of the a means to an end. So for Will and I, the real work starts when the assessments are completed, not when they're delivered. So the assessments are helpful. It's information. But then there's usually work to be done. One of the first things we did together, uh, and I still think it's one of our endpoints, is with senior leadership teams. So you might have, say, say the CEO and the C-suite, or you might have like a regional manager or something like that. Everyone on that SLT, senior leadership team, is likely a department or functional leader. So in that sense, there isn't that sort of natural pecking order that you find, like say, when the whole sales team gets together in a vertical. Right. So all of those folks are leaders in their own right. And you have, and it's very similar to a board, right? That everyone sort of come together of sort of equals, and that makes communication a little bit harder because there isn't there isn't just this natural who speaks first, who speaks second type of thing. And so uh, we've done a bunch of work with uh, senior level folks to understand how different people like to be communicated to. So people like me, I call uh, a more socially oriented communication style. I'm PowerPoint. I'm persuasion, right? People on the left side, more technically or analytical side, they're like, send me the spreadsheet. And so what we find in those large, in those senior leader groups is disagreement and friction tends to happen on context, not content, because you don't ever get to the content because you're fighting over, stop trying to sell me. Why didn't you send me the spreadsheet type of type of arguments? And so that's where we think we can come in and just shed some light on how people like to communicate and like to be communicated to or consume consume information to make decisions. So this next question is for Will. Will, in using these assessments, whether OAD or another one in the past, I want to drill into how much your work is is what John just talked about from a leadership consulting perspective versus hiring. Will, have you ever done an assessment, got the results back and looked at it and then said to the client, you can't hire this person? Great question. One of the reasons that I have deferred for so many years on attaching to an assessment is having worked with clients, most often in a situation where an, an assessment came down from maybe a private equity sure. company. Common. Yep. And 
the private equity company says, we want this assessment administered as soon as someone applies. And if they don't score X, then they're out. It's an in-out, pass-fail. And that's not fair. Not that the data isn't, you know, valid or helpful, but that is a component of the overall interview process and should be looked at as a whole. You know, John's got a graphic on our, uh, one of our PowerPoint decks where you got the iceberg, right? And you've got the traditional interview process, which is the top that's above the water. And then you get all the data below that you can't see in the interview process because it's below the water. And the, the assessment tool is supposed to reveal that. Right. So no, we have not used that in a, in a situation where we've, we've advised or I have advised hire, don't hire. We're in the middle of a process right now. One of my clients came to me and said, Hey, we have someone who is retiring, been with the company as the sales leader for the U.S. for many years. We need to do a confidential search for the replacement. We're going to look at a couple of internal candidates, and we're going to look at some external candidates. And we had the job description written up. We have kind of this scorecard idea of what we want to do with the role and how we want to interview. And I said, well, hang on a second. This is a pretty critical hire. Someone who has a lot of tribal knowledge is leaving the company. You're potentially going to either promote someone internally, you know, and that's going to create, you know, opportunity and potentially friction, or you're going to bring somebody in externally, opportunity, friction. I have this tool you can utilize, and we can take all of these people through the process, your internals and your externals. Everyone goes through the same evaluation. We look at the data to go along with the, the interview information, and you can make a holistic evaluation of who is the right fit for the role based on all components with the data being part of it. So you think about that internal candidate, right? Internal candidate's been there 15 years, knows the company inside and out, has been moving up, and this job is the next step, right? Is that the right move? Or is it an external person who is at the same level at another company and can come in and potentially hit the ground running, but how is that going to impact the feeling of the people who were internal that didn't get the job and all those things? So that, there's dynamics that are going to make it uncomfortable no matter what the result is. But when you're making that decision at that level, uh, there's what I have to say as a recruiter that is you know, valid because I've interviewed thousands of people and filled hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of jobs in the last 20 years. So I, I've got some subject matter expertise, but I don't know their business like they know it. So you need my input. You need their internal input. And then if you complement that with the data, and you've got a really nice collection of information that is, you know, statistical and emotional and can, can help you with a, a, a choice that is this important. So, uh, yeah, I have been in situations where that was used as an in-out or a pass-fail. Never was it my tool that I was utilizing. And I picked OAD really because of those three components that you brought up, right, the additional three factors, that are going to get into that the personality trait pieces that are really interesting to measure that versatility level, the emotional control and creativity, um, and so it's it's really shown up in more than uh, you know a couple of cases to be a a great tool that helps with a an overall evaluation of of right hire. Yeah, I, I think that the key thing you said there is, is this holistic approach, right? So if you build what I'll I'll call a matrix of criteria for the role. And you do the interviews, you've done this survey. And I always like to do for a key hire a team interview, like a now and interview process where for a larger 
customer, I'll actually orchestrate it and run it for them, right? Because I want everyone, and I instruct them, is I want you to observe how that candidate answers everybody else's questions. Because a lot of times, you know, when we're interviewing somebody, we're not necessarily observing as much as we're processing. And you want them process, you know, observing everybody else. Because, you know, and, and it's funny when you watch people with very different profiles hear the same answer, their reaction's very different. It literally, they heard, we all heard the same thing. And that's why it's important because if we get together after we interview somebody individually, we're like, well, that's not what I heard, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But when you do it as a group, you all saw the same questions and the same answers, but then you have the ability to observe. So I, I like the idea of kind of mapping out all the, all the ratings and scores from that entire process. And then you've got this, what I'll call an objective survey result. It's objective. So when everybody else has opinions and their own preconceived notions through an interview process, I like the idea of this survey. If there's an outlier there, right? If there's an outlier in that survey result, that's where it gets curious when you map it against everything else, right? And my guess is if you have five people in the interview process for a key role and you've got this outlying data point from the survey, there was probably smoke in the uh, subjective parts and the fire was just was just identified in the in the objective part. Like, yeah, we thought, and now you've got some data that says you're you're right. This could be a potential issue, or drill in more to it, find out why that is. So, uh, I think it's important. So, my next follow up question is, uh, John, you had indicated earlier that you do some work for nonprofit boards and for companies and, and and leadership development. How much of the work you two guys are doing is more on the consulting side uh, versus the hiring side with this process? Well, I'll weigh in from my end. So Will has in many years established business as a recruiter. I pivoted away from being micro-focused on early-stage startups at the end of December. And it was only in January when I pivoted my my solo consulting practice to leadership development, leadership consulting. It's somewhat early stages for us. And only in the last weeks we've been rolling out our our workshops and our go-to-market and the podcast and, and all of that. So that's full-time for me. I have a couple of advisory roles and that kind of stuff I, I keep up with. But my everyday work is on the is on the consulting practice and we're starting to grow it, et cetera, et cetera. My number one source of business is one William Barfield. So he has done a masterful job of working the end, A-N-D, into his practice, which is he can now differentiate his recruiting practice from others by working the OAD assessment and that process into it. But then we have this really nice situation where I'll call it the hiring panel. So the TA, the job, the hiring manager, the panel, like you just talked about, all of them take the assessment as part of the working with the candidate. So the new candidate comes in, they had the OED assessment, and all of a sudden now there's questions about, well, can other teams, can this new person's full team have the OED assessment? So now we're talking about how we can help them establish this person and onboard them and do some other work. And so that's the side of the equation uh, that I Okay. Do. The short answer is I'm practically 100% on that side Okay, now. got it. Yeah, and to, that, to add a little of that to help Pete, the reason that this – works out as well as it does. Uh, certainly John has the capacity right now and the desire and the focus to be 100% in on OAD and building his practice of consulting and you know, implementation, training and delivery around that. And I'm 
the natural lead source for that because of what I do. I myself am heavily, heavily immersed in this small business, right? Amy and I run a two-person recruiting business that, that covers the U.S. and have clients everywhere. And I'm not only business development for Barfield Revenue Consulting, I'm delivery. So I'm finding these this opportunities and then I'm filling the jobs. So I'm 24-7 on you know running our small company, but I carve out time every week to make sure that John and I are meeting and focusing on OAD and we're recording the podcast. And then I tee up leads naturally and I, you know, I kind of spur the interest, have a follow-up conversation, fold it into what I'm talking about with, you know, maybe I'll fill your job for you too. And how about this OAD tool as an add-on? And then I put the ball on the tee for John and I'm gone. And then it's, he hits that thing and takes it down the fairway and then, you know, puts it in the hole. And, you know, with this client that I'm, you know, told you about this case study, with this U.S. sales leader hire, John has done all of the you know, assessments with the candidates. He did the assessments with the leadership team to, to train them on the tool so they know what they're looking at when they're evaluating these people. And my job was just to coordinate all that, and then he's delivery. So you know, that's kind of how, how we fit together is I'm the natural lead source, and then he is the one who is the – implementer and the consultant and the deliverer of you know the the OAD part of the practice and that that really is why it works so well uh, it does seem to work so uh, let me flip your uh, your podcast name back on the two of you so if you were sitting in either a leadership meeting with a consultant like yourselves or an interview process and someone asked John well what are the two areas you guys need to work on the most to improve? How would you both answer that? Like, I think there's functional things and functional things can always be handled with, with training and whatnot. So I'll answer this more out of like the OAD assessment. So for folks at home, I, our four traits are assertiveness, extroversion, patience, and detail orientation. So I am high A, high E, middle P, low D. Okay. So my and all of these are strengths and weaknesses. And so I have the energy and I get charged by being with people as opposed to trained. I will stick my hand in a buzzsaw just because, you know, I'm okay to do that. Other folks are more reserved. However, my follow through isn't always as good as it could be. So what I've done is I've built systems around me to help me do follow through. But where I've been most successful has been in complementary situations. Like when I was uh, selling complicated ad tech uh, stuff, I was really good at first meeting. I was really good at driving uh, an in-person meeting, but I was extremely happy to delegate. Okay, now we're going to do a detailed demo. We're going to talk about how many bits per second or something that the machine can operate on. I was more than happy to delegate that. So that that's a strength of mine. But it can also show up negatively. So what I tend to do is, and maybe you and I talked about this, Pete, strength finders. So I tend to spend more of my time focusing on where I'm strong uh, and then put uh, other things or systems in place for where I'm less strong. So to answer your question, uh, detail orientation is, is a constant area of focus for me. And that can be functional. That can be interpersonal. That can be... Uh, 
in, in any realm. So that's why I, when I do work on weaknesses, it's it's always tied to that and and patience because I'm not a super. Will, what do you call me? Oh, there's so many things. Some of them aren't appropriate for this show. <laughs> low P. Yes. You're a low P. <laughs> low P is his nickname. I operate with a lot of urgency and get antsy when Will hasn't responded to me in the amount of time that I decided was appropriate without him knowing what's appropriate. <laughs> I can see that. But that's also uh, uh, the tendency of someone who's trying to get, you know, get things done. Yeah. Well, and John has done a great job of, you know, utilizing tools and technology to help him with his, uh, you know, follow up and follow through and, and those types of things. He's got a CRM tool that he introduced that we are using. He drove that. He, you know, has everything in the cloud with us connected so that I can access whatever I need sure. and he'll pull that up in our meetings. And, and so he's done a great job with that from a detail orientation standpoint. What he has started to do is when he's getting ready to send something out, he'll run it by me first for a proof sure. uh, because I, I, my detail orientation is higher and uh, I'll may see some things that he missed or catch some stuff. He also runs it by his wife, Carol, who is excellent at those things as well. So he's, you know, recognizes what his you know kryptonite is and then tries to address that if i can you know answer your question yeah. you know it i would say that the hardest thing for me was getting comfortable with talking about oad and introducing it at the right moment in the right time with you know clients and prospects that i'm working on in current business practice so it was just a muscle that I hadn't strengthened really in at all in 22 because we were trying to evaluate, are we going to you know invest in this distributor license? Because I didn't just give them away for sure. free. No. You, know, you got to go in the hole before you can come out, right? right? So we're, we're trying to go down to go up. And I'm focusing on the business, the business, the business. And, you know, OAD is kind of out here. And then we sign. And then it took us a couple of months, a handful of months with the holidays and everything else to get trained and to get, you know, OADs, uh, you know, top people to come down to Raleigh to give us three days sure. worth of in-depth training. And by now it's, you know, end of February. Right. So I, I, I hadn't done a lot of pipe build, but what I have done is now that I know, I feel much more comfortable with the utilization of the tool and talking about it because of the training, but really because John and I, exercise these muscles once a week on this podcast, it's much more natural for me to start introducing it to, to the right clients who say the right things and, you know, making sure that they know this is part of an overall consulting practice. It's Barfield revenue consulting, not Barfield recruiting right. or Barfield staffing. Mm. When I picked that name many years ago, when we started this business, my goal was that talent was going to be a component of an overall consulting business, but because things went wacky in COVID and I went from running a much bigger company with a lot of people who were delivering recruiting and I was doing some consulting to having to invert that and go back into production so that Amy and I could keep the business going. And I've stayed there. I've had almost no time for consulting because I've been talent acquisition. This attachment of OAD enables me to to have that consulting component and talk about it in a really appropriate way. And then I get to put it on a platter and hand it to John. Sure. And then he actually delivers on the consulting service while I continue to recruit and focus on the talent. Right. 
Well, I think this, the reason I asked that question is it's important for you guys to be able to share your story to help clients understand how all this has to fit together. Like these are the things we're looking for in your leadership team. And one of the earlier examples you would use, John, is if I know that as a CEO, I got feedback from one of my board members one time and it was spot on. He said, Pete, even though you're not naturally wired to be a sales guy, you're always in sales mode. So when you walk into a board meeting and you present something that's not going well, you're already moving on to the solution. You're already moving on to how you've put the blocks in place, addressed it, tackled it, and you're fixing it. He goes, and I'm just going to be blunt. He goes, when you throw a shit turd on the table, stop, pause, because the board wants to smell it. They want to taste it. They want to get in and find out where this shit turd came from, how it happened. Once they digest it and it tastes bad, then they're ready to move on and talk about it. But they want, they want to pause and talk about it. So I think as you describe how leadership teams, boards, whether they're nonprofit or whatever, it was great feedback. I, no one had ever given me that feedback. So I may have over-indexed actually, you know, for the next couple of board meetings. And I, and I spent a lot of time talking about the shit turd, you know, and they were like, well, wait a minute, you know, what are you going to do about it? I said, well, don't you want to talk about the shit? No. So I think it's insightful. I was a skeptic and we're going to wrap it up with this. I was a skeptic of a lot of these surveys because I didn't, I didn't feel they were applied properly. And one of the things that you guys made clear in, and I think, well, I'll go to your example about the client who has the long-tenured VP of sales about to leave, potentially bring up somebody internally or somebody from the outside. I would be very curious if that person took this survey, if you said to the leadership team, hey, this person's survey results are like this. He's been wildly successful for 15 years. This may be a bit of a blueprint that would give us an indication of somebody else that might come to the table with the same skill set, approach, attitude, everything. It doesn't mean they all, because everybody has different operating styles. But it is it, it, and this is where I think people miss. They run all these surveys out there, but they don't know what they're looking for. Right? They just don't know what they're looking for. Now you can say, "Well, this is this has worked." So if we have somebody comes in with the complete opposite, we need to understand how that's going to happen, right? And maybe they've been wildly successful selling someplace else, but maybe it doesn't apply to this industry, this team, this culture. So I think you're using it in a way that um, offers a lot of input and output that gives people just a lot more information to make decisions. No. And if I can, I want to uh, yeah. give you some content and context here. I asked that question and I said, I was more assertive, right? I'm a, I'm high yeah. a, my assertion, my assertiveness leads over my extroversion. And I said, I think you should run that sales leader who is exiting through this process. We need to yeah. look at that profile. And they said, no. Oh, interesting. Because we are looking to make a very strategic directional shift in the business. Okay. And way we've always done things is not the way we want to do things now. We've been very focused in this commodity area. There's not a lot of margin in it. There's some other opportunity exploration areas that we want to go to. This person hasn't wanted to go that route. We are grateful for everything that they've done. But we don't want to replicate that. So the cool thing about OAD, Pete, you gave me a chance to bring this up. I wanted to hit on it, is there is a component called the job analysis questionnaire. Okay. And it is a form with several questions on it. And these are these are difficult questions. And, and the, you know, it's, you know, five options under this question, you know, more likely, less likely, whatever. Sure. You've got to be forced to select one. And we send this job analysis questionnaire out to the client. And they think about the role, the role they're hiring for. Okay. And each of these people is a stakeholder in this role. 
One's a CEO, one's a head of human resources, sure. whatever. They all fill it out separately. Then they get together and they got to agree. And they got to distill that down to one form with multiple answers on it. And when they all agree, that form is put into OAD and it generates a profile just like the one you saw. Sure. It generates a profile for the role as they envision it ideally. And then the candidates who go through the assessment, as you know, the way that the assessment runs is it's two pages of adjectives. On the first page, it's like, Pete, who are you? Which adjectives describe Pete? You pick and then you click. And on the next page, it says, Pete, who do you feel like you have to be at work? And you click some adjectives and then it tells you who you are and your work profile and how aligned are they. Well, the external candidate who's coming from a different place, the upper profile is certainly relevant, but are we concerned with how they fit to their old job or are they concerned with how they fit to this new role? We're more concerned with how they fit to this new role. So it matches the, the top of who they are sure. with the new role that was created as a result of them agreeing on this analysis questionnaire. And that's really what sold them on the tool was they were like, wow, we can model what we envision for this role and then match internal and external to it. And interestingly enough, out of the group right now, we're not done with this whole process, but uh, there's one person whose profile is almost a dead on fit for the role. Uh, and he is an external candidate. Interesting. Yeah. I think that's where, that's where I was getting at. I don't think people do the homework. They don't. We create a target and then the candidates are assessed, not just in the wild, but against the target. By the way, if you have 10 candidates, you think are inbounds based on the subjective input and you have this survey result that says this person from the outside is a dead nut fit. You want to lean in there and find out why you want to get them through the process quicker. You want to make sure that you've got this. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. Well, gentlemen, um, we are wrapping up our time here. We could probably go for another couple hours, but I appreciate you guys sharing with us why these assessments are important, how you use them. And, and uh, hopefully people listening can figure out, you know, this is something we're not doing in our organization. What, what do we got to do? I'll put some uh, links in the show notes to make sure people can find you guys as well. So, oh, you're so nice. Thank you so much. And oh, we fun. Yeah. look forward to you being on our show. Can't wait. Can't wait for you guys to dissect my survey. <laughs> it's oh, we will. We've been it will not be time. nearly the professional experience that this has been. Uh, it's it's, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. on cops. I mean, it's just You've a total surprise. Oh, I can't. Sure. I can't wait. I can't wait. Pick me apart, boys. Well, guys, thanks again. Uh, and until we get on uh, what I am actually, which is a work in progress, we'll talk to you soon. Appreciate you, Pete. All right, thanks, guys. Bye, Bye John. Bye, guys. I will. This is Eating Crow with Pete Durand. <laughs>